Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Carl Simononik former scientist who worked at NASA but had a near-death experience, and today we're going to find out what he learned from it. Carl, thank you so much for being my guest, and welcome. Thank you for having me, Jeff. All right, Carl, if you don't mind, let's just start on the day that your NDE happened and go from there. Okay. Um, it, was, it was a pretty normal day. I was invited to a party, and... Uh, uh, I was in an experimental phase and, and accepted uh, a drug that, um, um, that did it and induced, induced my near-death experience. The, the, um, the experience began pretty much, pretty much a, an ordinary one and but I'll explain it in, in some detail. It um, began with an out-of-body experience. I was, I was leaving my body into a void. And, and I, due to the drug effects, I was dissociating myself from my body. And and uh i my last image of my body was an outline just just a like a chalkboard like a line drawing on a chalkboard and then i exited into the void there was a short distance away uh an entrance to the tunnel that everybody's all your fans have heard about by now where where you undergo your life review and this is this is one of the most significant experiences that you can have because you you go through it and interact with everyone that you ever knew or ever interacted with in life and I'll try to describe it. I don't hear, I don't hear too many descriptions of this. I'm going to give you some numbers that where the numbers aren't valid themselves, but just to give you an idea of the scale, the, it was as if I was floating down the center of a tunnel 20 feet in diameter. It could have been 200 kilometers in diameter there's the distance isn't what's important but just according to the scale the on that scale i would have been 10 feet away from from the walls and on the walls were were colored lights of different colors 
and to establish the scale, they were about the size size of the old style Christmas tree bulbs and different bright primary colors like them scattered along. There wasn't a, a visible wall. The wall was defined by the lights. And as I slowly moved through the tunnel, each light was an individual that moved from the side towards the center where where we we had an interaction the whole the whole tunnel was a series of one-on-one -on -one interactions like this where where both sides both of us knew as we relived our significant experiences together, we both knew what the other thought and their motivations very, very clearly, because there, there was, a, there was a, a kind of merging into a oneness, a shared consciousness, where there could be no secrets. No secrets are possible in that, in that, um, in that stage. And so it's a, a um, as this, as you have this sense of oneness and the other person knows everything you thought and your motivations, well, um, it's, it's rather um, humbling. There's, there's a, you, anytime you hurt someone, they know, they know it. They, they know why you hurt them. And so it's, uh, in that sense of oneness, you realize you were only hurting yourself. And it's, it's shameful. It's shameful to realize that there are times when you treated people like objects instead of people with feelings like yourself. And it's humiliating and it's, and it's very shaming. It makes you feel worthless that you so wasted a perfectly good life in falsehoods and it's uh, it makes me wonder what what a life review must be like for psychopaths for example who spend all their lives hurting people and and i you know it, it, it just must be horrible must be the the worst worst possible thing and you come out of it kind of wrung out kind of oh god god what it was and then and then and then but every experience ends with acceptance because the other person knows that your feelings at that point are genuine and and there's a there's a reconciliation and and you end in 
a sense of love and forgiveness. And then, and then you go on to the next person. And I'd like to point out in this context that, that uh, animals in this context are people too. And so, so the mistreatment of animals is a terrible thing. They're conscious creatures with fears and feelings that are not unlike your own. So your, your viewers should, I would like to suggest to them that they imagine the shame they are going to feel over the animals they casually gave not a second thought to as they they didn't i'm sorry let me repeat that imagine imagine the suffering that you didn't give a second thought to as you ate them they're creatures just like us their consciousness springs from the same source as our own and and i'll get to that source of consciousness in a little bit you you when you leave the tunnel in the end it's all it's all okay because of everyone has forgiven you i think even charlie manson is came out okay in the, in the end but he probably had a very rough time of it I would, I would bet money he had a very, very rough time of his life review. So then, so then as, as, you're, um, as you know, you pop out of the tunnel and you're in the void again. Maybe it's a different void, I don't know. But it's black and for me, featureless really, except for a distant light. And in my case, the light was way off to my right. And, and um, it was a, a very bright light, very distant, basically a point at the start. And it drew my attention. That's all there was. And I started, I started moving in its direction. I can't say whether I was do, doing the moving or it was moving towards me. But after a short while, I could tell that the distance was closing and it, it seemed to take a while and then accelerate until I could tell that I was going to be falling into it. Except as I got very close, it wasn't a, it wasn't a straight dead on path into this light. It got, it got bigger. There were, there were features that I can't, I can't really characterize. You've seen good pictures of Jupiter, for example, with all kinds of features on it. And it was kind of like that, but not, not really, not so, I wouldn't say so colorful, but the light was, the light was very, very bright, very, very bright and intense, but it wasn't a blinding light. 
you could look right at it. You could see the features in it, even though it was brilliant. And, and I like to call it a clear light that way. It's, it's a light unlike our normal experience. And, and um, as I got close, as I got close to it, there was some trepidation about what was going to happen. And I, I, as I got very close to it, I, it was like I entered into a close orbit around it. And then it observed it as I spiraled into it. And as I got closer and closer, I realized this was, this was fine. This was all, all love emanating from it, all goodness, nothing to worry about. And, and it was just a time of moving into it and merging. And when I merged, I completely lost all sense of personal identity. And I was one with the source of consciousness spanning the universe. That source animates us all. That's what we are. That's where we came from. And that's where we shall return. I spent some time. Time isn't the right word to use there. There's, um, it felt like it could have been an infinity. It is timeless. It's a timeless realm. But I, I was everywhere at once in the universe. I saw everything. I knew everything. I could, I could examine anything and, and understand what was going on. I saw trillions upon trillions upon trillions of, of other civilizations out there. It's countless numbers. It's just, um, it's unfathomable, really, to a normal, to a human mind. And I wasn't a human mind at that point. I was, I was merged with the source, like we all will be. And, and I had all these perceptions coming in at once. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to, it wasn't possible either to, to retain all this knowledge. I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. I was, I was thoroughly happy, thoroughly, thoroughly entranced with it all. And then I, and then I started to feel a little bit of a tug, like a presence from a, a presence wanting my attention and pulling me back a little bit and telling me that I had to go back. I had to go back. And I didn't want to go back. I really didn't want to go back. It was 
it was the most glorious place that is possible to be. And I fought it. I fought it figuratively kicking and screaming, you know, grabbing at the, at the door jams, you know, but I was slowly pulled away. I, I was informed. No, you, sorry, in a very loving way, but you can't stay here. You have to go home. And when I accepted that, I, I began bargaining. Well, there was a little bit of begging at first, but that didn't, that didn't last long. Please let me stay. Sorry, buddy. And, and um, I tried bargaining. I wanted to remember all that I had seen and known, but I was informed that was impossible. And, and um, um, it's just, it's impossible in the first place because there's just too much for a human brain to hold. It's the, the way I like to think of it is, is if, as if there was a table of contents to all of it, to all the knowledge in the universe, our human brains wouldn't even be able to follow or encompass the table of contents to it, even in the broadest categories. It's just beyond imagining. And I was able, I told you I negotiated, and I was able to bring back sense of of the scale of it that that it had this magnitude of, of compared to a human being relative infinity and and um uh i was i have a just a handful of images of some of the things that i saw on on other planets of other beings just living normal lives and and they're not they're not real clear images i can't tell you what color they were or how many fingers they had or but there were there were like i said there were trillions upon trillions of them and so there were there was a lot of variety and 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 the few that i remember were just just like like um just pretty mundane images really people getting into their vehicles uh just just views of views of dwellings that kind of thing and and i i just have a very few of these the the other reason is there that we can't remember everything is there are things we're not supposed to know we're not supposed to come back from near-death experiences with, with advanced knowledge of advanced technologies. That's just, that's forbidden. We just, we just, it's not going to be good for us to know that. It's not going to be good for our wider society to know things like that. And we're not supposed to know things like the exact moment of our, of our deaths, of our permanent deaths. And I'm sure there are a whole lot of other things like that, but I, I just, I don't even know what they all are. So I was, I was slowly brought back 
I, the, I, of course, I wasn't merged anymore with the source of consciousness that uh, some people, most people probably call God. And I was brought back where I just woke up. Hours, hours had passed. And there I was. And I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by it. I really, it was too much in the beginning. And I, I had a sense of what had happened, but I was, like I said, just overwhelming. It was just so overwhelming. It, that, that's the, that was the take-home message immediately. But, but as time went by, I thought about it a lot. And learned about it. I learned more. Especially, I I had gone in a a hardcore atheist because I'd been raised Roman Catholic, and and realized that at the age of six it was all just a big load of baloney, and and um, you know I stuck with it because my mother. It was important to her, and and um, so I grew up with the religion. But by the time I left home and was in college, at the time of my NDE, uh, I was I was as hardcore an atheist as is possible to get. But of course, I've always been scientifically inclined, and you, at least for me. It's impossible to experience merging with God and then deny it. I only know of one person who ever has, and and um, I don't know. I don't know why she did, but um, but I think it's pretty rare that someone comes out of their NDE and denies and denies it. Although, although I, I would also like to point out, because I've read a lot of NDE experiences and watched some of your videos, that a lot of people don't go all the way in. Some people just have an out-of-body experience. Some people just go into the tunnel a little ways before they pop back. Some people exit the tunnel and they see the light and they have some perception that it's, it's the light of God but they don't merge with it and they don't become it. And so I think that explains a lot about why different recountings of NDEs sound so different because some people, I certainly had this, this urge and I probably would have uh, done more. So if I hadn't gone in as an atheist, I probably would have overlain my own, cultural expectations on the experience but i didn't but i didn't and and um um i think that's pretty average near-death experience pretty typical certainly typical of what uh, raymond moody described in his in his famous book have you read that i have not no 1975 life after life that's that is the the um, 
That is the first time near-death experiences hit the public consciousness. It can't be the first time anyone ever had one, but it was the first time we knew about them. And, um, uh, and mine happened before then. So I had no base of experience to go on. And so it's, so it's, um, uh, I have read his book and, and my experience I think was pretty typical. Where it varies, however, do I have time? Yes. Yeah. Where, where my experience varies from others that I've read about is how profoundly it continued to affect me for the rest of my life, usually without realizing it. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty, and it's so true. It is. I look back on it. I look back on it, and and I and I look back on the on the ways I made decisions about my life path, and. I, I feel so strongly that my near-death experience guided me. Oh, I'm sorry. I left out. I left out an important point. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know why I was being returned. Why did I have to go back? And the answer was I had, I had important life purposes to fulfill. Maybe that's not true for everyone because some people say they were given a choice. I had no choice. I had life purposes that needed fulfilling. And I wasn't told what they were, but I had to come back. There was no question about it. I kind of want to go back to the very beginning. And I have a okay. feeling that the audience is going to be asking this. Okay. Did you exit your body because the effect of the drug caused you to stop breathing or your heart to stop? I I don't know that wasn't among my perceptions, but it, it couldn't have been, I wasn't surrounded by medical personnel. I was at a party. Right. And I just, when I realized I was dissociating from my body, I made myself comfortable on a couch and, and, and left it at that. But no, my, if I, Probably my heart didn't stop and I probably didn't start stop breathing because I'm still here today and hours passed. And then one other question, and that is, is there any possibility that your experience was just a hallucination? You know, that's a that's another popular theory that's put forth about NDEs. And since since now I'm a brain scientist. I'd like to I'd like to comment on that. That's an excellent question. Um, there's what what that would require is a mass hallucination programmed into us somehow, because so many NDEs are so similar. There are a few outliers, but we can leave those to, you know, attention seekers and frauds and, and, and so forth that, but, but most of them are, are pretty similar. And 
there would for that to happen, there would have to be a mechanism in our brains for it to happen. For example, the the oxygen deprivation hypothesis. I've been in a NASA altitude chamber at high, 30,000 feet without a mask, hypoxic, and gone into a state where I wasn't all there. I wasn't all there. There was another person with a mask on that let me go into it as far as I did. And then he put a mask on me. I wouldn't have been able to. But it didn't resemble my NDE at all. It wasn't anything like an out-of-body experience. It was just, it was just la 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 la, you know, not really thinking about much, but but it wasn't it wasn't an out-of-body experience. It wasn't a tunnel, it wasn't a light. It was, it was just a process of of losing consciousness. So, so um, I think I got a little sidetracked. What was the, the original tra- question? Well, I was just asking if it was a hallucination, and I kind of a, feel a like you, I feel like you've answered it. Well, well, let me add a little bit. Um, for it for it to be a hallucination, there would have to be a mechanism to do so, and there are no other mass hallucinations that are known to afflict everyone and and there's there's no there's no cultural programming that tells us what to expect in fact the the cultural programming that does tell us what to expect religions are all wrong in their descriptions of the afterlife and what god is like there some come close some of the sufi and buddhist traditions come come pretty close um that we're all one with god god is in us and all religions have three things in common they all maintain that god is light god is everywhere and god is in us and after that they, they diverge that's the true part of of all religions but then they diverge into their own superstitions and customs and so forth. For, for this mass hallucination, or for this to be a mass hallucination, it would have to be programmed into our DNA. But because, because programming into our DNA occurs through evolution, and evolution is about survival of the fittest those those who carry certain traits pass them on to others there's no evolutionary value in programming a hallucination into us to experience death because we're not going to experience uh or we're not going to have the opportunity to reproduce after death so there's just to me hallucinations the hallucination idea is just absurd because there's no there's no mechanistic or physiologic basis for it and there's no evolutionary pressure for it sometimes people who have an nde encounter people on the other side that are still living i'm curious that those individual lights which are individual beings that you had life reviews were those people all 
on the other side already, or were some of them still living? You know, that's a good question. That's unfortunately, that's not something that I retained in memory. What I remember is that is that I saw and encountered everyone that I had known in life, certainly up to that point, but I can't I can't tell you if if all the future ones were there too, but I highly doubt it. And the reason I doubt it is that is that we have free will. We have the ability to change things. I came out of my life review feeling like such an asshole. I'd been such a jerk to people. And I totally resolved not to be after that. And so I I'm I'm sorry I can't answer your question better than that. That's all right. Now you mentioned your experience with animals. Since your NDE, did you become a vegetarian? I did. I did. In fact, in fact, remember I told you the influence of my NDE had effects on me that I didn't I didn't attach to the NDE at the time. I was I was um just a few years afterward, I was married in the Air Force. Um, I would, I was grilling steaks every night outdoors, and I had, um, uh, I had had a little bit of biology training at that time, and I just got to thinking about what I was doing. And I realized that this tissue, this muscle tissue that I was cooking was indistinguishable from my own. And I started feeling like a cannibal. I just started, it was wrong. I I got this very wrong feeling from it. And I asked my wife if she wouldn't mind going vegetarian. And she said, sure. And we did. And and we were divorced a few years later. She went back, but I never did. I never did. From what you've learned about animals, is it possible that we can also be an animal in another we, life? Or are we still all, separate from them? All consciousness springs from the same source. We are every other animal. We are every other individual, every other entity. There's only one there's only one source of consciousness in the entire universe. We are one with it all. But could we ever incarnate as an animal? We already are. Let, let me make a mention about how I view reincarnation from this, from this point of view. It isn't that, it isn't that in, in a previous life, you were Napoleon and I was Marie Antoinette. We were all Napoleon. We were all Marie Antoinette. Right now, at this moment, you and I are the very same individual living illusions of separateness because of our biology. We're in different bodies. But we are the very same. We are simultaneous, along with everyone else in the world and through all time. We are simultaneous incarnations 
of the one source. Everyone before us was a reincarnation of us. Everyone after us will be a subsequent incarnation of us. But that's in a dimension that's outside of time. It's really happening all at once. We're all one, living these illusions of separateness. As a scientist, can you explain the void and what that is compared to Newtonian physics? That's a very good question. Tough to describe. It's just void. It isn't, it wouldn't be like being in space, no points of light representing stars and galaxies in the background. Um, In Newtonian physics, no, Newtonian physics can't do it. Um, um, relativity can kind of do it. If you were, if you were, all of us have laid outside at night on the grass, maybe on a blanket on the grass, staring up at the sky and looking at the stars. Einstein taught us that as you as anything approaches the speed of light, time slows down for it. So light traveling at the speed of light experiences no time at all. What that means is all the light that you're looking at when you're staring up at the sky, marveling at the distant stars and galaxies and the Milky Way and everything else, all that light that may have taken millions or billions of years to travel across space to fall upon our eyes, all that light exists instantly, continuously along its path. It isn't, as far as the light is concerned, from the light's frame of reference, it isn't at one place at one time and one place at another. It's, it's tracing a path through the universe until it falls on our eyes and we perceive it. And then it's transmuted into a neural signal. And, and so there's, a, there's this realm that's outside of our normal frame of reference that, um, and this actually, this actually relates to my present work. Um, it's best described by the physics called quantum electrodynamics or QED for short. The idea, this is, this is a concept in physics that's very well worked out. It's been validated experimentally. The idea is that all interactions between light with matter or light with other light are mediated by virtual photons that, are, that exist in the zero point energy and they are popping in and out of existence at, at extremely rapidly. And they, they mediate the interactions between the light and matter in our, in our manifested universe. And, and this, this zero-point energy forms the substrate, the energetic substrate of the entire universe that, that, that manifests our own universe and the physical universe that we that we experience. 
But the energy density of that zero point energy is so great, it's beyond human imagining. I did the calculations one time based on what physics currently believes is the energy density and the zero point energy. And a cubic centimeter, one cubic centimeter of empty space, this is why it's called zero point energy. If you, if you clear out all matter and shield a cubic centimeter of empty space so that there's nothing there, nothing there at all, what's left over is the zero point energy. It goes by other names, vacuum energy, used to be called orgone energy. It's been called the ether. And, um, but today it's the zero point energy. When you say or, or vacuum when, energy, when you say zero point, it, would you consider it non-local, just energy everywhere? Well, well, yes, yes. This is a field of energy outside of our own universe, spanning the entire universe, filling every crack that, that, and manifesting our own. So it's not only out in empty space, it's here. We are, we are sitting in it right now. It's all around us, but we can't directly perceive it. It's, it's just working in the background. And, and because they're called virtual photons, sometimes they're called virtual particles in that realm, particles and photons are the same thing. And is my understanding. I'm not a physicist. I'm a physiologist. That's the study of the body and not study of physics. But, but um, um, this energy is, is, fills the universe. And that's where all this light has to be. That's, that's traversing millions and billions of light years that is outside of our normal time bound frame of reference. That's where all the, that's where all this light energy is. It has to be. And, and because it's light interacting as virtual photons, interacting with our material world, it experiences no time. So this, this, but, it, but as light, it's going to have all the properties of light, which include interference wave interference with other light. So imagine the entire volume of the universe filled with millions and billions and perhaps trillions of years of overlapping light that all experiences no time. It's all there at once. It's all forming this, this pattern of wave interference. And what holograms are made of are wave interference patterns. Holograms can, can contain not only images, but information. They can contain data. They can contain programs. They can even, even execute programs. So there's a lot about holograms that um, uh, we probably don't even understand all the technologies of. And the most important thing about them is that they can interact with other holograms. Hol because they're wave interactions, you can make holograms interact with other holograms to produce new wave interactions. Can you describe the differences between this zero point energy, dark matter, 
in space and cosmic consciousness. The differences. Well, <coughs> dark matter dark matter is just something proposed. Nobody's ever measured it or detected it in any way. It's just an idea. It's just a thought. It may exist. It may not. I think it probably um, is related to the zero-point energy. It could help explain it. But like I said, I'm not a physicist. So I can't tell you if the energy density of that dark matter is is um, uh, it can be sufficiently explained by the zero point energy. One thing I would like to mention though, is that I did the calculations one time. I first compared the energy density of the zero point energy in one cubic centimeter of empty space. I compared it to the output of an atomic bomb. No comparison. Even the biggest, the Tsar Bomba, Russian bomb that got set off, 60 megatons or 80 or more, maybe. Nobody knows exactly. But not even close to that. The energy density and the zero-point energy is so much more. It's more than the sun puts out every second. It's more than the sun puts out in an hour or a year or even in its whole lifetime. When I did the calculations, um, what I got for the, the amount of energy in one cubic centimeter of the zero-point energy was all the energy of all the stars in the entire universe, in all the galaxies of the whole universe, for a period of 15 trillion years. That's not an imaginable number. That's not a number that, that a, a human brain can wrap their brains around. They just can't. It's, it's just too much. And, and so that's why people, people like to think in spiritual terms of, 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 you know, the afterlife being something ethereal and, and ghost-like. It's the reverse. Our earth, our, our physical universe is the thinnest of vapors, the, the wispiest of, of, of mist compared to the energy density in the zero point energy. And what was the other thing? I kind of use the word cosmic consciousness. Is cosmic this, consciousness. Is this energy conscious? Yes. 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 Everything is conscious in this universe. So, so the, the scientific hypothesis that I've come to and formalized in a theory is that we have that we are we are individual manifestations of the source of consciousness that is made of light as all the religions say and and inhabits the entire universe in holographic form in the zero point energy it's all alive it's all consciousness and consciousness is like any other physical uh, field like like magnetism or charge consciousness will arise it wherever uh circumstances are such 
to permit it. We can, we can generate magnetism in a number of different ways, for example. And we inhabit bodies that are capable of supporting consciousness in us. Would you like me to tell you how? Sure. Okay. This is called the nexus theory of consciousness. A nexus is a connection point. And I'm going to tell you something that probably, I'd like you to tell me if you've ever heard of biophotons. I haven't. You haven't. Most people haven't. They're almost unknown. Even though they're in the scientific literature dating back to the at least the 50s. There's a lot of old German and, and Russian work on them. And I, I was uncertain. I discovered them accidentally by browsing the library stacks in the science library at the University of California, where I got my PhD. I just discovered biophotons um, in the scientific literature. They're real. Everything alive emits photons usually in the visible light range. Um, there's some question, maybe a little bit into the UV, maybe a bit into the ultraviolet, into the um, uh, infrared range too. But all our cells are giving off, all our living cells are giving off photons of light at very low levels, maybe one or two photons per second uh, around that, that amount. It's not enough for our eyes to see. It's just too weak. They've been called ultra weak. Uh, I call them endogenous light. Endogenous means from within. I called it endogenous light for a while. But biophotons, I think, is the best term. They're just photons of, of normal light that are given, out, given off by all the cells of our bodies. So um, when I first learned about them, I was very interested. And I did an experiment. I did an experiment. I thought at the time, um, you know, in, in, in physiology and science in general, um, evolution, evolution doesn't usually waste things. You don't normally spend energy for no good purpose. Well, these biophotons are emitted primarily from the mitochondria of our cells. Mitochondria are the tiny little powerhouses of our cells where, where we make a molecule uh, called ATP that is used to power all our metabolic processes and, and in a process called electron transport. And this, so high energy chemical reactions are going on in these mitochondria. And they're very tiny, a cell can have a thousand of them or more. And and um, uh, uh, and there, it's interesting to see electron micrographs of of them. How they're sometimes associated with with other parts, but that's we can get into that another time. Um, the the experiment I did at the time, thinking that cells were maybe using this light, the, their biophotons to communicate with other cells, was I took a. Um, uh, I went down to the local slaughterhouse and, and got a pair of cow legs. Um, they were coming down a chute from the ceiling. If you've ever been in a slaughterhouse, uh, it's a grisly experience. But they gave me two cow legs to take back to the lab with me where I dissected out the main 
tendons, the biggest tendons in them. The largest, largest ones are all oh, maybe oh, almost an inch or three fourths in diameter. And, and um, um, what they're composed of is, is pretty much parallel, uh, long parallel fibers of collagen. Collagen is the major protein of our bodies. It makes up, it makes up half, just about half of all the protein in our bodies. And it forms the structural framework for almost everything. Our skin, our bones, all our organs and tissues. There are only a few exceptions. Our hair is made of keratin instead of collagen. Our fingernails are made of keratin. There's some parts of our teeth that are layers that are, I don't believe they're collagenized. They may be, um, but, but we, we know collagen in our normal lives by um, when we eat jello or, or gelatin. The, in a slaughterhouse, after they've, after they've turned everything, they've cut an animal all up into parts for various purposes, um, there's stuff that they can't use for anything else. So they, you know, the bones, the snouts, tails and stuff. Um, I guess some of that does get used for other things, but there's a lot of waste left over. They boil it all down. They boil it all down and, and, and the protein denatures. That means it comes apart. The collagen molecules all come apart and their individual pieces are what we call gelatin. Gelatin is just denatured collagen. Well, it's all lined up in fibers. So I thought, I thought if 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 this if this if these biophotons in us were acting as as um, uh, they might be acting like fiber optics. So I did some experiments, and the first one I did was I, I borrowed a, a laser from mechanical engineering. And I just, it was just a pilot experiment. I, I had one of these dissected tendons and I shined the light in one end and just put a little force on it. Just pulled it, pulled it a little bit, put a little force on it and boom, the light shot out. Uh, you know, maybe it, maybe it uh, penetrated seven centimeters at, at first. And then with just the slightest bit of force, it would, it would zoom out to 10 meters, or 10 centimeters, I'm sorry. Um, the light would zoom out to 10 centimeters. So then I did the proper experiment, mounted uh, uh, the tendons on an optical bench, shined the light through, put a force transducer on one end so I could measure how much force. And, and sure enough, there, there follows a relationship where, the, where the, um, uh, the more force you put on a tendon, the more light penetrates through it. And and then, and then I did a second experiment, putting them into a device called a spectrophotometer, which measures how much light can pass through. I made, I made sections, one centimeter by one centimeter sections, and compared the amount of light that could be transmitted parallel to the fibers, uh, compared to crossways to the fibers, perpendicular to the fibers, and, and huge, huge difference. So, uh, light transmits much more parallel to the fibers. So light exhibits some fiber optic properties. This was, this, was, this was another thing that gets back to how I feel I was guided by my, by my NDE. I was, I was entranced 
by these biophotons. I wanted to know about them. So I did an experiment based on the, on the idea that they might be used in cells. And, and, but I wasn't thinking about my NDE at all at that time. I was just, I was just drawn. I was just drawn to this. And, and then a few years passed. I was, I was thinking at the terms I needed, everybody who's pursuing a PhD needs to do some kind of, in science, needs to do some sort of research project. And so I thought about pursuing this as a research project, but I didn't know where else to take it. Um, a couple of years later, um, I guess I had already started my research that was space related, space flight research that I later went on to pursue more in, um, uh, at the NASA Johnson Space Center, um, which was about developing countermeasures to the fluid shifts that astronauts experience and weightlessness. But that's another story. Um, um, in that interim, I had this other serendipitous experience where a, a faculty mentor, a, a, a fellow named Ray Berger that I was uh, TAing for, he, um, a teaching assistant, um, he informed me that our brains, the cerebral ventricles of our brains are, their cavities, they are lined with beating cilia. Cilia are little hair-like appendages sticking out of cells and they beat around in a regular pattern about 40 times a second, approximately. They're, almost every cell in our bodies, is, it's now known, has cilia um, and and so does the inner lining of these spaces in our brains. So that became the impetus for me to realize, wow, these biophotons could be used to support consciousness. And what I think happens now is that the biophotons in our brains, some of them get coordinated with neural events so that they are guided through wave guiding structures, fiber optic structures in our brains, composed of collagen, there are other kinds of fibers too, that they are guided to the, to the uh, inner surfaces of these, of our, the cerebral ventricles, the spaces within our brains. They constitute about 150 milliliters, uh, a small amount, maybe a quarter cup, third cup, something like that. And, and what I think happens is, is they get guided in a process called neurophotic resonance, where they are, they are in tune with the neural events. They get guided into the cerebral ventricles of our brains, where they, where they, they get aimed to specific destinations, either across to the other side of the ventricles or to, or to destinations within the ventricles that by the cilia, because the cilia are timed to the neural events. And so this is a mechanism, a, a kind of scanning mechanism that can allow for interference, wave interference patterns to occur in our cerebral ventricles and, and, um, and build up holograms and make dynamic holograms within the spaces of our brains. And those dynamic holograms have the ability to tune in to the source of consciousness that is resonating throughout the entire universe in the zero point energy, which we are immersed in.
So do you believe that our consciousness is part of the zero point energy separate from the body and then it is able to use the body and inhabit the body through these biophotons within the ventricles of the brain? Yes. Very good. Very good. Not everybody gets it as quickly as you do. Yes. The nexus is the sum total of all the dynamic holograms going on in the ventricles. Very small space. I go like this, but it's it's, it's a small amount. Um, You know, maybe that's not the right size. Here's a container. Maybe this much in this container. So, so, um, but that's still lots of space, lots of volume for light to interact in and for these dynamic holograms to be formed. So, so yes, exactly. Let me, let me add to that now. Go ahead. Some people believe that our consciousness is separate from our body in a dual system. Mm -hmm. And some people believe that our body is actually manifested by our consciousness. Where are you on that? Okay. Well, I, I mentioned QED, quantum electrodynamics. Okay. There's a, there's a sister science to, to physics called quantum chromodynamics. And that has to do with the manifestation of quarks and gluons that make physical matter. Two, they're, they're a little bit related because they both, they both derive their energy from the zero point energy. Different equations are used to describe them. And, and I haven't determined any way in which quantum chromodynamics, the manifestation of matter, is, is yet related to our consciousness. It doesn't need to be. I, I believe, are you asking me, are you asking me to give you my opinion between the philosophical debate about dualism versus monism? I mean, I was just curious of your opinion on more of the mechanism. Does our consciousness create the body or the body is created and then our consciousness just attaches itself with this body through the biophoton field? Okay. Um, well, I can't, I can't speak with any authority on this. I didn't, I didn't come back with any revelations about this. I can tell you what I think. I think, I think that, that our, the universe that we see manifested around us does so through physical processes. There's no magic to it. It's, there are a lot of things we don't understand, but there's no magic. And so, so the physical part of our universe operates oh, not quite like a, con, uh, like a clockwork mechanism because there's, there's conscious control over a lot of it. But a lot of it is just taking place according to physical processes. And remember I said, I believe consciousness can, ex- can, can arise like magnetism in any part of the universe where conditions become appropriate for it. And that's what the nexuses of our brains do and what, and what drugs or damage can do to our brains makes our brains inhospitable to consciousness. So consciousness has to leave. I think, I think they're separate things and, and I'll very briefly speak to the philosophers out there because 
because there's dualism is not very much in favor in philosophy these days. Uh, dualism ans is is about says says that the mind and body are two different things. Monism says that the mind and body or the mind and brain are the same thing. Well, that's an absurd, absurd proposition because the heart is not the blood it pumps. The kidneys are not the urine they form. The lungs are not the gases they exchange. And our brains are not the consciousness that they support. And sometimes our brains don't support consciousness as in NDEs. So it goes, it goes somewhere else. How is God consciousness your consciousness? That's a good question. That's a very insightful question. Um, um, a, a major feature about holograms um, is that, say you're, we're talking about a conventional hologram that's recorded on film. You, the way it works is you, you take a laser beam and you split it into two with a beam splitter and you use one half the beam to illuminate an object and, and, and the light bounces onto film. And then the rest of the beam is called a reference beam. It doesn't bounce off anything except a couple of mirrors. And then it, 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 it also illuminates the film in such a way that it interacts with the light that is bouncing off the object. And it forms an interference pattern on the film. Just looking at the film after it's developed, you see you see spots and wavy things and whirls and stuff. But but and then then you can then you can reconstitute a three D image by shining a laser light of the original wavelength through the film and or bounce it off. Um, and and the and the wave interference patterns will reconstitute a three D image. But if you just take the film with, with a single holographic image on it and you cut that film in half, you find that the image is preserved on both halves. The entire image is on both halves, unlike a regular photograph. And so you can, you can cut it again and you get images on all the pieces. Now there comes a point when you, where you make it real small, where you start to, the piece is real small. We start to see you, you lose information, you lose resolution. So, so to answer your question, what we are, are, are physical entities with these holographic patterns in our brains that are able to tune into the holographic patterns that support consciousness, the source of consciousness in the zero point energy. And that's holographic interacting with the holograms in our brains and bringing a little, a small, tiny portion. Imagine the ratio of volumes, 150 milliliters to the volume of the universe. And that, tiny, tiny, tiny ratio of God consciousness is able to enter us. Is it possible for us to access the zero point energy field and use it for our benefit, either through meditation or some other way? Oh, 
I think so. I think so. It's it's popular to to you, you may have seen this before. There's there's a whole lot of interest in tapping into this energy source. You know, free energy. Tap into the zero point energy. Um, whether that'll ever be possible or not, I don't know. Probably, I think so, but I don't know. People will talk of seeing auras around human bodies, and I believe they've even seen them on MRI studies. Are those auras biophotons emitting from human bodies? I don't think so. No, that's a very good question, too. I don't think they are. Auras, auras are something else. Auras are... Um, um, they're, they're an artifact of, of our visual system. They're not, there's, there's nothing really there. It's just, they're a byproduct of how our vision works. I could explain, but it would take a while. Right. Well, I thought that they've even been shown on MRI studies and they you know, collimate. Well, that's really an x-ray term, but they, you know, they collimate the machine to, cut that out well um i've looked at mris you know i've never actually looked closely to see if there's fuzz around them but there's a lot of there's a lot of scattering of of light and information involved at, at the present level of technology we have mris are not um docs just call them mrs by the way mm -hmm. They leave the eyes off these days. Um, you know, I'll send them down to the NR, MR. Mm. And um, uh, uh, they're, not, they're not relevant. I haven't seen them. To answer your question, I haven't seen them. I'd like to see them. But no, I, I don't think they're auras. I don't think. I think they're just artifacts. Like, like the visual auras that people see are, are probably just... Um, just artifacts because biophotons are too are too weak for our eyes to see and there's you can accommodate your eyes to to low levels of light to where they're a little more sensitive but to my knowledge to my knowledge there's only been one reported instance of biophotons becoming visible and that's in a poem by Galway Cannell who references the light given off by a drowning swimmer at night. Why do you think our brains are so limited that we can't handle all the things that you learned on the other side? They're just too small. They're just too small. It's just like the first computers couldn't run Windows. You know, they're just, it's just too small. They're, they're, we, we like to think of ourselves as the, pinnacle of evolution we're not we're not we're we're barely out of the, the 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 i don't know the primitive mud as organisms there's much greater intelligence out there now you said that you saw other beings on other planets and i've had other nde-ers or near-death experiencers say that they've seen other mm -hmm. non-human intelligences out there as well as other planets so can you give us your take on aliens and UFOs? Oh, there's trillions upon trillions of them. Th this idea that, oh, we might be the only island of life in the universe. That's so silly. That's so provincial and chauvinistic. 
Um, no, there's there's abundant there's a, abundant life out there. Um, my personal feeling about UFOs is, I think some of them, probably a small minority of them, may have to do, may come from other planets, but I think it's more likely. Um, since, say, the bodies that were recovered at, at Roswell, for example, they had a humanoid, basically a humanoid form. I think they're time travelers. I'm pretty sure. I, I would bet my money that they are time travelers instead, coming from the distant future, maybe the dis distant past, but also other universes, alternate universes, multiverses. We live in a multiverse. It's pretty clear. Um, it, at least it's pretty clear to some people. There's still a lot of debate in the physics community as to whether we live in a, you know, a physical, a single physical deterministic universe, or do we have multiverses? But um, that's a whole different question. Well, when you left your body and went to the other side, mm -hmm. is that going to a parallel universe or another dimension, or how would you describe that? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know what I, my guess would be that 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 that's a realm where all universes within the multiverse are accessible. There's an idea. There's an idea that that since since multiverses are split off with every choice that we make, there's an idea that somehow we remain tied together throughout all the different multiverses like this the same you in one multiverse is also in some ways in communication with the you in another um universe among the multiverses put it that way and and we sometimes have some we get we get slim indications of that in terms of premonitions and just feelings about things you know that doesn't seem like a good idea and that's how we form our judgments and and so i think i think there may be i think that maybe multiverses are we we exist in them in such a way that we are influencing ourselves without the actual transmission of information that we can that we can use in any other way but but on a very deep level that just that just give us gives us these these slight feelings that we have and that we often use to, to make our decisions on. All right, Carl, I've got to switch gears with you here. Okay. After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions or chit chat with you. Are you All open right. to that? Absolutely. How should they find you then? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the best place, the best place to start is, is, to review Nexus Theory at brainandconsciousness.com. All one word, no, of course, no spaces or hyphens or anything or underscores, brainandconsciousness.com. And there exists the first 10 episodes of a podcast I began last year called Adventures in Consciousness. Those first 10 podcasts describe Nexus Theory in the form of Nexus Theory 101 and they're short the all all 10 are just 90 minutes long so all of your listeners can learn 
how their own consciousness gets physically supported in their brains in just 90 minutes. And I'll soon have a, uh, a transcript, a PDF transcript available. Uh, anyone can reach me on, can find me on Facebook. Simononic is not a common name. And there are no other Carls with a K, Simononics that I know of. Um, I, I run a brain and consciousness Facebook group. Um, it pops up when you search on it, brain and consciousness. Um, except it's brain ampersand consciousness, I think, there. It doesn't matter. It's easy to find. And I run a, a meetup group at meetup.com slash brains it's it's the los angeles brain and consciousness meetup group i don't live in la anymore but i formed it when i was there and i'm i keep it active um otherwise um anyone who wants to learn more about me can click i think i have a link on brainandconsciousness.com to my science cv which is just cv.simononic.com, but nobody can ever spell simononic. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to find it. <laughs> um, I'll give you some links. Sure. I'll put the links in the description. Excellent. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? I have a small Facebook group called Nuke War that I started to help advise people about how to deal with the consequences of what appears to be a coming nuclear war that Putin is likely to start. He's not going to give up in Ukraine. He's, he, the word is, it's strongly believed he has cancer. He has nothing to lose. And um, he wants to go down in history as a glorious Russian conqueror. And so he's, he's pretty likely to start um, nuclear war. So I have a nuke war in U-K-E-W-A-R group on on facebook that i'm that's it's it mo we mostly go into politics now there's there's it's kind of fallen by the wayside you know the war in ukraine occupied everybody's minds for for weeks and now it's kind of like ho-hum yeah ukraine's still going but nobody's building bomb shelters that i know of so there's that all right carl well before we finish up can you leave us with one last positive message? Yes. Nobody needs to fear death. Nobody, nobody needs to fear death. It's something, it's something to embrace, enjoy. It's, it's, um, everybody is guaranteed to merge with God eventually. There's no hell. There's no hell. There, it just, it, it, God is not a cruel psychopath that would create a place of eternal torture for any of his imperfect creations that fail to follow the rules just right. That's just nonsense. There's, there's nothing for anyone, even the worst sinner, for even Donald Trump to be afraid of. <laughs> It's a peaceful place. It's a lovely, wonderful place to be. There's no better. All right, Carl, thank you for that message. And thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you. And I wish you a great rest of your evening over there. Thank you. You too. Have a good one. Thank you.